0: Hallelujah If you got your Bibles tonight Turn to the book of Job Chapter number 1 I'm Just going to read a couple verses there Amen Job chapter number 1 I'm going to read verse numbers, verses number 20 and 21 Job one twenty and 21 Amen. If you're there, say amen. Amen. Then Job arose and rent his mantle and shaved his head and fell down upon the ground and worshiped and said, naked I came out of my mother's womb and naked I I will return thither. The Lord gave and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Let's pray again. Father, we just love you tonight. God, we just worship you, Father. We just thank you, God, for all that you've been doing in this place. Father, I thank you, Lord, for your presence, God, that I feel in this place tonight. God, I'm so unworthy, Lord, as I stand here behind this pulpit, God, to preach this message, God, that you've given unto me. And Father, I just ask you to come, Lord, and just bathe me in your anointing tonight. God, just clothe me, Lord, in your anointing tonight. And God, give me every word, God, that needs to be spoken in this place, Lord. Let not anything go unsaid, God, that you desire, Lord, to be said. And, Lord, let me not say anything that you don't desire, God, to be said. Father, I pray you anoint our ears to hear, God, in our hearts. Lord, to receive that that you'd have for us tonight. God, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. It was about a week or so ago, I guess, that Pastor came or messaged us and said, or me, and wanted me to write down the vision that I had for the worship team. And as I sat down and began to pray and just began to seek the Lord over that, as I, as I was getting to the, to the part about praise and worship, the Lord just just laid some things on me and put some, some things in my spirit and spoke some things to me about praise and worship. And tonight, I just want to come to you on this thought for just, the, for just the next few minutes, the difference between praise and worship, the difference between praise and worship. Praise and worship. While praise and worship are often talked about together, and they're closely knit to one another, we must understand tonight that there is a difference between the two of them. If you look in the Bible and study out the word praise, according to Strong's Concordance, praise is first mentioned in the Bible in Genesis 29 and 35. The Bible says, and she, speaking of Leah, the wife of Jacob, conceived again and bare a son, and she said, now will I praise the Lord. Therefore she called his name Judah and left bearing." Praise is used in this passage of Scripture as a verb, and it means to acknowledge or to give thanks. In other words, this would be an example that she would be saying is, I recognize that this child has been given to me because of God, and I thank him for this child. Praise as defined by Merriam-Webster's dictionary means to express favorable judgment of, to commend, or to approve of. An example of that would be to tell someone, hey, you did a great job, or I'm pleased with what you did, or that looks great, or thank you. One quality that praise has that worship doesn't have is that anyone can praise God. I want to say that one more time. One quality that praise has that worship does not have is that anyone can praise God. You don't have to be a saved individual to praise the name of the Lord or to praise God. Saved or unsaved can praise God. Praise is simply acknowledging that God has done something, that God has has supplied something or protected you from something. Many of us, no doubt, have heard an unsaved person thank God or acknowledge that God has done something or di- that something did or didn't happen in their life because of God's intervention. But even still, even through, even though anyone can praise God, we must not forget that when a child of God begins to praise. When a child of God begins to praise him, praise is a very powerful weapon that is at our disposal. We read over in 2 Chronicles chapter number 20 the story of King Jehoshaphat. And you know the story. It's a very familiar story. I think I've even preached out of that, out of that same chapter here before. But as you look into that Passage of scripture in 2 Chronicles chapter number 20, you don't have to turn there. We're only going to quote a couple scriptures from there, but you know the story. As, as the scene is being set out there, the the armies of the Moabites and the Ammonites and the children of Mount Seir, they begin to surround Judah. And the Bible says in 2 Chronicles 20 and 3 that Jehoshaphat feared, and he set himself to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all of Judah. And and so all of Judah comes together, and they begin to pray, and they begin to seek the Lord. And the Spirit of the Lord comes upon a man by the name of Jehaziel, and he says, listen, listen here, Judah. And This is the, the RMV version, okay? But he says to listen here, Judah, this battle that you're facing, this battle that has come against you, it doesn't belong to you. It's not your battle, but it is God's. If you'll go out against them, and you'll watch, and you'll see the salvation of the Lord with you. Aren't you thankful tonight to know that every battle that we face doesn't belong to us, but it belongs to God? If I'm a child, if I'm a blood-washed child of the King, anything that comes my way, as Pastor Lee Ship said so beautifully when he was here the last time, that if anything gets to me, it is because God chose for it to get to me. So that anything that I'm going through, I know that there's a purpose in it. I know that God has a plan in it and something that either he's desiring to show me to get out of me or a place that he's trying to get me to in the midst of the battle. So, everything that come against me if, as a bloodwashed child of the King, uh, of, uh, of the Most High King, is simply because that He desires for it to get to me. That battle does not belong to me. Many children of God spend way too much time trying to fight battles that they have no business fighting. We spend too much time trying to fight and labor in things when if we would just say, God, this is not my battle, but it's yours, and we'd rest in the Lord as He said tonight, as, he, as the Word came tonight in the message of tongues to just enter into the rest of God. Listen, there's a place in God where we can rest and we can get to that in another, no matter what we're going through or no matter what we're facing, we can rest in knowing that God is fighting the battle for you and I. Spirit of the Lord came to come upon this man, Jehaziel, and he says, Judah, this battle is not yours. Fear not, but this battle is God's. Go out against them and watch and see the salvation of the Lord with you. But what was it when, you know the rest of the story, they begin, they begin to gather their armies around. They begin to pray and they begin They begin to seek the Lord and they begin to organize and put their army together. But if you'll remember in that passage of Scripture, what was it that Jehoshaphat sent out before the army? What was it that he sent out before the mighty men of valor and before the soldiers? It was people that would sing praises unto the Lord. He sent out the singers that would sing unto the Lord and praise the beauty of holiness. I always found that interesting that before an army, before a mighty man of valor, that Jehoshaphat would send out a, a, an army of, of singers, if you will, an army of people that are going to sing praises unto the Lord and, and sing about his beauty and sing about his holiness. And But as you begin to look and we begin to read into that scripture, what we find is that when, when the enemy begin to hear the praises and begin to hear the individuals singing, now listen, I can just imagine them sitting there and thinking to themselves, you know what, there's, there, there's three countries here. There's three huge armies, and they're more advanced than, than Judah's army is. They've got better weaponry. They've got more uh, uh, military. They've they're probably got a little bit more intelligence, but they're bigger and they're better and they're stronger, and, and they probably seem to be mightier. And even the Bible talks about Jehoshaphat being scared and fearful and setting himself to seek the Lord and saying, Listen, God, we have no might against this battle. We have no might against this army. But I found it interesting that, it, that before he would send out the men that are mighty and the men that are strong, that he would send out people that would sing and that would praise before the mighty men of valor. But you know what happened as this enemy, they begin to hear. I can just, I can just hear them. I can just I can just see them in my mind as they begin to hear these these children of Israel begin to sing and begin to worship the Lord and sing praises unto God. I can just imagine them looking at each other and saying, What in the world is going on here? We're about to annihilate these people and they're and they're they're singing praises unto their God and they're worshiping their God. And man, we're about to take them out. What in the world is going on? And I can just see as the confusion begins to set in their mind and everything begins. To to get crazy in that camp, and they began, you know what happened, they began to turn when they heard the singing and the praising, they turned on themselves, and they killed themselves, here's what the Bible said in 2 Chronicles 20, 22 through 24, it said, and when they began to sing praise, the Lord set ambushments against the children of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, which which were come against Judah. And they were smitten, for the children of Ammon and Moab stood up against the inhabitants of Mount Seir, utterly utterly to slay and destroy them. And when they had made an end of the inhabitants of Seir, everyone helped to destroy one another. And when Judah came toward the watchtower in the wilderness, they looked unto the multitude, and behold, there were dead bodies fallen to the earth, and none escaped. Amen. Come on, I don't know if you heard that or not, but as they begin to pray and as they begin to worship, every enemy that they had was destroyed. That enemy turned upon itself. Two of them, it said, turned upon themselves. And when they were done beating up on each other, they saw the other one still standing there and they turned on them. And the Bible said that because they sent out praises that none escaped. So listen, when we praise, the enemy of our life is defeated and it brings to life in us things that have died. I want to say that one more time. When we begin to praise, the enemy of our lives is defeated and it brings back life in us into things that have died. Jensen Franklin said this in his book, The Spirit of the Python. He said, the enemy hopes to choke out the praise in your life. But praise breaks the grip of the enemy and changes the atmosphere. It invites the presence of God into your circumstances. Is that not what happened in the story that we read in 2 Chronicles? The enemy wanted to choke out their praise and wanted to annihilate everything about them. But as they began to praise and as they began to worship the Lord, it broke the grip of the enemy in their life. And that enemy began to turn on himself and began to beat himself up. And they began to annihilate each other until all were destroyed. I know you don't know this lady, but Carla Carla Humphreys is her name from Arkansas. She said this about praise on her Facebook page the other day. Your praise, she's talking about my praise and your praise, declares life. As, As breath declares life in the carnal, praise declares life in the spirit. Isaiah 38, 18 and 20, she quoted this, said, For the dead cannot praise you. They cannot raise their voices in praise. Those who go down to the grave can no longer hope in your faithfulness. Only the living can praise you as I do today. Each generation tells you of your faithfulness to the next. Think of it. The Lord is ready to heal me. I will sing his praises with his instruments every day of my life in the temple of the Lord. She went on to say that if an individual has a recurring silent stroke, it can cause significant and permanent damage. It can lead to cognitive decline and dementia with a severe impact on memory. Silent strokes can eventually affect movement and speech as the parts of the brain responsible for those functions begin to die. The same goes for a person in the church. If they begin to become silent and do not praise, it causes damage. It leads to their decline of growth in the spirit and can cause them to permanently leave their relationship with Jesus. It even impacts their memory on anything God has ever done for them. Those moments of silence and the moments that that the said believer fails to praise God, they will spiritually become immobile and they will begin to die. How many know that praise is a powerful weapon? I said praise is a powerful weapon. Praise brings life into me. Praise reminds me of the things that God has done in my life. There was a time in David's life where he had nothing in the present, nothing in the present that was going on in his life. He was running from his life, from his family, from Saul, nothing in it, living from cave to cave, about a vagabond, if you will, and he had nothing in the present to remind himself to worship God for, to praise God for, and he said, he said, but I remember the things that you've done for me. I remember the former things that you've done for me, and he brought those things back up and began to, to praise the Lord over those things. He praised the Lord on those things. He began to recall those things in her mind. If we're not careful and we don't continue to praise and worship the Lord, eventually we will begin to forget the things that God has done for us and we'll have nothing in the present going on. God will not be presently doing anything in our lives as we find in the life of Job, in a little bit as David found himself in his life. Nothing in the present going on, but he was able to say, Listen, Lord, I'm gonna praise you anyway because I remember the things. Things that you've done for me in the past, and there will a praise arise from my lips. The psalmist said it this way in Psalms 43 and 5. He said, Why art thou cast down, O my soul, and why, there, why art thou disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him, who is the health of my countenance and my God. The Hebrew word for the word yet in that passage of Scripture is the word awed. A W D is how it sounds. It's spelled O D. And this is what it means it means longer, again, still. More, henceforth, furthermore, yet the more, all life long. So what the psalmist is praying is this. What he's saying is this for I shall longer praise thee, for I shall again praise thee, for I shall still praise thee, for I shall more praise thee, for I shall henceforth pray thee, for I shall furthermore. Pra- Are you hearing what I'm saying? I shall furthermore praise thee, I shall yet the more praise thee, or I will praise you all life long. In other words, what that means is in the good times I'm going to praise you, I'm going to praise you in the bad times. When the checkbook's in the red, I'm going to praise you, but when it's in the black, I'm going to praise you too. When I'm healthy, I'm going to praise you. When I'm sick in my body, I'm going to praise you. When the marriage is great and everything's going good, I'm going to praise you. When it's doing not so good, I'm still going to praise you. When the children are doing right, I'm going to praise you. But when my children are doing wrong and going astray, I'm still going to praise you. When nobody else is praising you, I'll be the one that is praising you if I've got to do it right by myself. That's what he means by yet. I will yet praise thee. That means I'm going to praise Praise you because God, I know that you're good and I know that you've got goodness stored up for me in heaven and for those that love you so there will continually be a praise that rises from my lips. Praise is a powerful weapon. I said praise is a very powerful weapon. It is a powerful weapon. Praise begins to break the chain of the enemy when we begin to praise, when we begin to praise and we begin to worship the Lord. It begins to break the chains and the binds that the enemy has put upon us. That's what praise is. But so then I got to this word worship, and I began to look at it, and listen, I'm, 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 it's, it's going to be a little short tonight, maybe. But as I began to study this, this word worship, God just began to reveal to me what, what worship is, and it's so much different than praise. It is so much different than Praise. Because you see, the only people that can worship the Lord, the only people, Brother David, that can worship God are those that know Him. Those that know Him. An unsaved person can say, God did this for me, and they can thank God for doing something, but they cannot worship Him. They cannot worship Him. This actual word worship, the actual word itself, worship, for the first time, according to Strong's Concordance, appeared in. In Genesis 22 and 25, when Abraham was, was going, had been told to go sacrifice his son Isaac, he's walking up the mountain, and he said, And Abraham said unto his young men, Abide ye here with the ass, and I and the lad will go yonder and worship and come again unto you. Worship, is, as used in this verse, means to depress. That doesn't mean to, to make you sad, but what it means is to sink to a lower position. It means to prostrate, to bow yourself down, to crouch, to fall down flat to humbly beseech or to do or make obeisance. Obeisance means bowing or to do reverence or to make a stoop. Whew. I believe we see the first act of, act of worship beginning in Genesis 4 and 26. Or worship beginning in Genesis 4 and 26. The Bible says, and to, and, and to Seth, to him also was born a son, and, and he called his name Enos. And there and then men begin to call upon the name of the Lord. I believe that is when worship began in the Bible. I looked at that call, of the call on the name of the Lord. I love looking stuff up. And it's, this is what call on the name of the Lord means. When it's looked at in the Hebrew, listen, this is what it means. It means to, it carries the idea of accosting a person met. That means I've got to touch you. That means I've got to touch you. It means to call out to or to address by name. Listen, worship comes from a different place than praise. And it carries, listen, it carries the implication that the one worshipping knows the one being worshipped. Worship carries the implication that the one doing the worshipping knows the one that they are worshipping. Worship comes from a place of intimacy. So while praise is acknowledging that something God has done in our lives and thanking Him for it, Listen, worship shifts us to calling on God for who he is. It's not just thanking him for what he's done, but we begin to call on God just because of who he is. It shifts us to calling on God for who he is. It makes us to realize that, God, we don't just need what you can do for us, but, God, we need you. We don't just need the things, God, that you can do for us, but, God, we got to have you. we got to have you. I love what God has done for me, and I I need those things, and he blesses me. But listen, it is nothing if I don't have the presence of God. It is nothing if God does not come and live on the inside of me. It is nothing if I can't feel the presence of the Lord. I'm so glad that God is in this place. I'm so glad that he's in here. I don't know how other churches and, and, and people survive without the presence of God. I don't know how they do it. I don't understand that. I can't. I've got to have his presence. Thank you, Lord, for what you've done for me. Those things are awesome, and I'm not making light of them at all. I've needed them, and there's so many times I could tell you of the faithfulness of God in my life, but more than any of that, I've got to have his presence in my life. More than that, I've got to feel him touch and feel him near and feel him hugging me and loving on me. That's what I desire in my life. I've said it here before, I think, I don't know when I said it a long time ago, but I was preaching a message, I think it was get a vision, Jesus is in the house. I don't know, it may not have even been here. But I said, listen, it, it, somebody said, you know, if, if Jesus is not in the house, if the presence of God is not in the house, then we might as well shut the door and go home because it means absolutely nothing if Jesus is not here. Nothing changes without the presence of God. Nothing, nothing changes without God coming and touching and filling us and letting his presence come to dwell with us. So worship shifts us from calling on God for who He for, for, worship shifts us to calling on God for who He is, not just what He can do for us. It makes us to realize that God, we don't just need what You can do for us, but God, we need You. We need Your presence. It's like Moses saying, "God, show me Your glory." show me your glory. Moses had seen the burning bush. He had seen the staff turned into a serpent and then back to a staff. He had seen the plagues sent to Egypt when Pharaoh refused to let the Hebrews go. He'd seen the Red Sea parted. He'd seen all this stuff. He'd seen the manna. He'd seen the water from the rock. All these things that he'd seen but deep down Moses knew brother Jason that there's something more to this God than just the things that he's doing for us. There's something more than these miracles that I've seen him perform. There's something more to this God and he approached God and said, God, I've got to see your glory. I've got to see that. I thank you for the man. I thank you for sustaining us. I thank you for the clothes that aren't wearing out. I thank you for the shoes that aren't wearing out. I thank you for the fire and for the cloud and all that. Lord, I thank you for all that. But, Lord, there is something more to you, and that's what I want. I want to see that. I want to see your glory. I want to know you in a way that is greater than what I know you now. I don't want to just be able to praise you and thank you for things, but, Lord, I desire to be able to worship you. Thank you for what you've done, Lord, but I've got to see you. I've got to be intimate with you. In our text, we read a few moments ago in this book of Job, this man, if you go back and look in verse number one, in the beginning of that we find that Job was this perfect man. He was upright. He turned away from evil things. We find that there was a day when the sons of God and Satan came to present themselves to God. And Satan requests to test Job, and you know this story, and God allows him limited access to Job's life. So here's Job one day just going about his business, doing whatever they did back in that day. I don't know if he was, you know, playing bingo or what he might have been doing back in the day. I don't know what they did back then. But he's just going through his day, and, and he's just living life and just doing whatever it is that they did back in that time. And this messenger comes to Job and he says, listen, Job, your oxen and your donkeys have been taken and your servants have been killed and I'm the only one that escaped to tell you what was going on. Before that man finishes talking, another another messenger comes up and he says, Job, your sheep, man, a fire fell from heaven and consumed the sheep and consumed all the servants that were watching the sheep and I'm the only one that escaped to tell you about it. Before this man finishes, another one comes and is, says his camels has been taken and the servants that were watching them have been killed. Then another one comes to tell him that all his children were killed and the house, because the house they were in collapsed upon them. And you, you see this picture of Job and this, this going through his day, and then all of a sudden, all this bad news begins to come to Job's life. All these things begin to happen. And I, I would venture to say that this is probably the worst day that anyone has ever had in the history of mankind. I would venture to say that. I believe believe that to be true, amen. I've had some pretty bad days, but I've not had a day like this. I hope I don't have one, amen. Job gets all this message and listen. Not even one messenger is done talking and telling him of the misfortune that has come his way until another one comes up. And so all these things are being piled on Job. And Job's not doing anything wrong, man. He's an upright guy. He's he's running from evil. He's serving the Lord. He's praying for his kids. He's sacrificing for his kids because they're not doing right. And he's still worshiping the Lord. And all this stuff just begins to come into his life, and it begins to get over. I can just imagine how overwhelming this is. I can't even. I can't even and really really, truly understand how he would feel in this moment with all these things happening to him. I can only imagine how he would feel, but all these things going on inside of his life. But here's here's what Job did and what I found very interesting in Job 1, verse number 20 that we read earlier. It said that Job arose, he rent his mantle, he shaved his head, he fell down upon the ground, and what did he do? He worshiped. He worshiped. And what did he say? Blessed be the name of the Lord. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away, but blessed be the name of the Lord. So in the midst of the worst day of Job's life, in the greatest tragedy of of Job's life, I mean, in one day this man lost everything, but the Bible said on that day he worshipped. You know, I looked through Job and it didn't say on any other day that he worshipped. I know Job was a worshiping man, but but it, it, it pointed out on this particular day that Job worshiped. In the worst day of his life, he worshiped. In the worst time of his life, he worshiped. When he lost all his livestock and all his way of making money, he began to worship. When he lost all his children, he worshiped. Only a man that has been intimate with God and knows who God is can do that. I said, only a man, only a person, only an individual that has been intimate with God and has a revelation of who God is is going to be able in that moment to worship God. When when you're facing those things, only uh, per, listen. A person that doesn't know God, they make and praise Him for things. Uh, but when 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 stuff comes uh, and tragedy comes to that life, and things begin to begin to get rough, and things begin to get bad, and it looks like all hell is against you, the only the uh, the only individuals that are going to be able to say. God, I still worship you is an individual that knows who this God is. It's an individual that has spent time with this this God and that has been intimate with this Lord is. Listen, Job had a revelation of who God was. That's why he was able to worship in this most tragic time of his life. Job was not just a weekend visitor coming in on Sunday morning and Sunday night and maybe showing up on a Wednesday. No, this man Job, no doubt by what's going on in this man's life he had to be a man that every day He said, listen, I've got to worship God. Every day I've got to get alone with this God because I don't know what I may face tomorrow. It could be the most tragic day of my life. It could be the greatest battle that I've ever faced. And if I'm not intimate with this God and I don't know this Jesus, I'm not going to be able to stand and say as Job said, that even if he slays me, I'm still going to trust in him. Even if he takes everything that I have, I'm still going to follow him. It's not because of what he's done for me but it's because of who he is that's why we serve this God we may not have nothing in the current to praise this God for but worship doesn't come from that place worship again will stand and it will say with Job in Job 13 15 though he slay me yet will I trust in him I told you I wasn't going to be long and I'm, prom- I'm, I'm coming through on that promise brother Rafe if you want to come but as I just begin to study this out and just look at this. You know, praise and worship, they're so, they're so still closely knit together. They're very closely knit together. And listen, I want to be a praiser of God. I do. I want to praise God. I want to thank him for the things that he's done in my life, for the things that he's kept me from in my life. There was a time in my life, Brother Jason, and many of us could go through this, backslidden, running from God, and my life could have been taken at any moment. Or Jesus could have come back. And I'm telling you, I had a busted hell wide open. I had a busted hell wide open. I thank God and I praise God for his grace and his mercy upon my life. I thank him that he kept me through all of that. that he he saved me, that he pursued me. I thank him for that. And listen, that's why I want to be a worshiper of God. I want to be a worshiper of God. I want to be a worshiper of God. One that worships God is one that is intimate with the Lord. It means that I know this Jesus. It means that I know this Jesus. It means this. It means that every day when I'm going through my life, that there is going to be nothing that is more important than getting alone with God. I'm reminded of the story of Mary and Martha. Y'all know the story. Martha's up busy preparing things. And listen, she's doing good things. She's preparing to feed Jesus. She's preparing for the people that are coming to the house to eat and to fellowship. She's doing good things. Mary's sitting at Jesus' feet, listening to him, listening to the word, listening as he preaches. She gets aggravated and goes and says, Jesus, are you going to do something about this? I'm up doing all this stuff. And she's just sitting there. And what did Jesus tell her? He said, Martha, you're cumbered about so many things. You're worried about so much stuff. When the only thing that is important is what Mary has chosen, to sit here at my feet. That is what is the most important thing. That is what is the needful thing. And that shall not be taken away from her. It is needful for me to sit at the feet of Jesus. It is needful for me to be in his presence. And isn't it a beautiful thing that he desires intimacy with you and I? He desires for you to come into his presence and to sit at his feet. Because, listen, I, all this mess going on in this world, listen, I, don't, I, I wish I knew as much as, as some of you, David, as, as some of you know of, this end, of the end time prophecy, I wish I knew as much as some of you. And listen, I can't tell you all that's coming. I don't know. But what I can tell you is that those that aren't intimate with this God, Those that don't know this Jesus, I fear that they're not going to be able to make it in the coming of the days ahead of what's coming. I fear that. I fear for so many that are just going through the motions and and don't really have an intimate relationship with with this Jesus, they're not going to be able to stand when persecution comes because it's coming. I don't know to what depth, and I'm not trying to be the prophet of doom, but what I'm here to tell you is that if you'll worship this God and get intimate with this God, you'll be able to say with Job, listen, I don't care what comes my way. I don't care what they do to me because there's nothing they can do to me unless God allows it himself. And if this is the lot that he's chosen for me, if this is the life that he's chosen for me, then blessed be the name of the Lord. He gives and he takes away. And even if he takes it all away from me, even though I am slain, I'll trust in him. I'll trust in him. I'll spend time with this Lord. I fear for those individuals that don't know, that don't, that don't take the time to be intimate with this Jesus. It is so easy to get busy. It is so easy to, to get to the end of the day and realize wait, I've not spent any time with this Lord if we're not careful. It is. It is. I'm not as spiritual as some people. I don't, I can't get up early in the morning. I hate getting up early. Ask David. Sometimes he'll text or call me at 6.30 in the morning. About 9 o'clock, I'll get around to texting or calling him back. (laughs) But I'm telling you that you need to make time to spend time with this Jesus. Because I believe that the, 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 the things that are shifting inside of this church... I believe God don't just want to take us to the place where we're able to praise, but I believe he wants to take us to a place of worship that we have never yet experienced. That's one of the visions that I wrote down for the worship team, that that I believe God wants to take us to a place where we're able to worship from a place that we've never been able to worship from before, that we've never been able to worship from before. And how are we going to get there? We're going to get there by spending time in prayer we're going to get there by fasting. We're going to get there by spending time in this word. And listen, not not out of religion. Not out of religion. Because there's people that, there's people that fast that aren't saved. There's people that read this word and know it better than any of us in here that aren't saved. There's people that, that even pray that don't even know this God. They're going to bust hell wide open. But I'm talking about doing it because I want to be intimate with this God. Because I want to know this God. I want to be able to say in my worst day, My worst time of my life. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Stand with me, if you will, all over this building.